Welcome to the Future Is podcast, where we explore the future of your life and business. I'm your host, Joe Tobis. I am a future shaper and oversee global marketing at Honeywell. We're going to talk about cyber attacks. Hackers attack a business nearly every 13 seconds, according to Cyber Defense Magazine. That means by the end of this podcast, there will be more than 85 attempted hacks. Sema Tutuchu fights those bad guys. It's her job to protect critical infrastructure, like the power grid, for instance, from getting hacked. Sema is based in Amsterdam, so we're giving her a ring today. Sema, welcome. Hi, Joe. Thank you. Let's start with the most basic of basics. Tell us about the bad guys, if you will. What is a hacker? A hacker in our world has the profile of somebody who is just bored and trying to find his way on the internet. Uh, Those can be whiz kids, but these also can be people that really have plans to target a site or a a location or a system. So these vary from uh, both resource point of view, skills point of view, knowledge point of view, and intention point of view. So Sema, when a hacker is planning to do something, do they go into it planning to, to hack a particular company or a particular industry, or does just opportunity arise? No, they really think well before they uh, target, and they also have a, a certain intention. Sometimes it can be an intention to uh, do harm on a, a certain company. Uh, it can be sometimes a competition. So they really plan ahead and then also During that planning, of course, they are as silent as possible. So cybersecurity is an interesting issue because all of us in our personal lives have been impacted by the risk of cyber attacks, um, you know, attacking our email system or, you know, creating viruses on our computer. What's been the change in cybersecurity on the industrial side over the years? Where was it, say, 20 years ago, and, and what's changed recently? Uh, 20 years ago, uh, cybersecurity in industrial sites was really at the very beginning of uh, this um, evolution because we back then were still working with a lot of proprietary systems, and change started to happen where open systems started to get introduced in the industry. Um, and and that, of course, opens uh, the, the whole global world with those open systems to those hackers. And that also meant that uh, suddenly the industry needed to get measures in place, both from technical point of view, as well as organizational point of view, as well as operational point of view, to get their systems and their assets and people protected against it. So these open systems, why did we create open systems? Well, that, that's not so difficult because these proprietary systems were closed, meaning that also data that was produced in these closed systems couldn't be used elsewhere. For example, uh, in the business environment where data is very right. important to do some analysis and uh, uh, for other purposes. So these open systems had big advantages to plan ahead, to have better order inventory. These systems integration with OT uh, IT with OT was very, very useful, but also opened, uh, of course, other disadvantages. Uh, I was reading an article, Sema, about um, white hats and black hats. Well, what yeah. is that in a hacker world? 
In a hacker world, that means white hats being good guys, black hats being bad guys, and the good well, guys. I, do we, some I've hacking. seen I've seen the cowboy movies, so I know I know the right hat to wear. So I wear yeah. the white hat. Yeah, and it means that if you are hacking with a white hat, then you do it for the uh, purpose of informing for the technology owner uh, of a certain gap or a certain vulnerability in their system to correct it in time. And a black hat means to really do harm, to disrupt or to uh, harm the assets so they don't have good intentions. And they also uh, most of the time do harm. Right. So it's basically like a like a superhero uh, movie behind the scenes in the hacker world. That's exactly where I feel in every single day. Yes. <laughs> so so in, if we're going to take that analogy, then, Sema, where do you fit into the superhero movie? What's what's your role? Obviously, I wear a white hat to be very clear. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. And I uh, make sure that uh, not only we prevent hackers to enter our asset owners um, uh, systems, so we make sure that we identify the vulnerabilities to just be a couple of steps ahead of potential black hats. And also after uh, risks have mitigated and vulnerabilities have been removed, we make sure that the system is maintained as such that it keeps up to date. So the black hats not only for the moment, but also for the future have been blocked. Uh, but yeah, obviously that's not an easy job because uh, hackers are very quick, they're very dynamic, they not only try one way, so we are very dynamically trying to keep ahead of these black hats. So how do you do that? How do you stay on top of it? Because like you said, they're likely going to continue to evolve to try to find new avenues to infiltrate. It's a continuous circle that we are uh, practicing with our customers. And it means that uh, continuously the risk is being assessed. Uh, and that means some customers have a risk cycle of uh, one year, others of three years. That really depends a little bit on the industry they're uh, in. And depending on that risk to uh, change to the positive or to the negative, uh, the, the investment is being planned to make sure that whatever is needed uh, to get this risk in an acceptable level, uh, it has been then also completed. Because uh, not all risk you can get rid of, and the acceptable risk per company also, of course, is very different. Um, and once that investment has been done and the remediation for that risk uh, has been completed, you start uh, the uh, services portfolio where you also, all of those security controls that have been implemented stay up to date, are being patched, are being used. And when the cycle is uh, there again, you measure the risk again and so forth. So you mentioned cycles, um, uh, risk cycles, and different industries, different companies have risk cycles. Mm -hmm. um, give me an example of a risk cycle. Well, I, that's an interesting term I've never heard. Yeah, uh, maybe it's uh, actually a, a term I just invented. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> this is, but you know what, this is great. That's what this podcast is all about. We are all about breaking new ground. And right now, uh, Sema has introduced a new term that she's going to explain. Well, uh, risk obviously is not something I invented. <laughs> no. Either. Neither is a cycle, but the two together to make sure that you continuously look at your risk and monitor your risk. Because in uh, one industry, the risk cycle or the, the, the time before you do a risk assessment again to review your risk again uh, can be one year. And in another case, it can be three or five years. So because, for example, in the chemicals industry, 
uh, we have um, different uh, cycles that we use for doing risk assessments. And in uh, nuclear uh, power, where they really need to be 100% certain that whatever they do is first not going to impact their asset, and secondly, they're protected uh, against uh, attacks uh, coming both from the inside as well as the outside, uh, th that can be one year or even less. We also have a very interesting product called Risk Manager. This risk daily is monitored. Right. How does it do that? It's a different type of risk. It's technical risk. So it looks at whether or not in the network uh, certain measures are still in the acceptable uh, uh, range, meaning, for example, suddenly a port has been opened on one of the switches or uh, a patch is missing or a, a signature file is missing. It's very technical risk. But uh, risk assessment is a service that we do. Uh, it's basically consulting that looks at what is the impact if such and such scenario would happen to the business. So that really translates the, the risk into dollars. But the risk manager looks at it from a technical point of view. Uh, it collects data and events from all the technical systems running uh, in this asset and translates that in, uh, okay, you have to do something about your patch level because you are too far behind and so forth. Interesting. All right. I want to know about you a little bit, um, Sema. So if for some reason, and I'm going to try to go back to this um, superhero context, the, the world changed and you became a black hat. Would you be able to go in and hack? Are you? Do you have hacking skills? No, I don't. I don't, but okay. I am in charge of a couple of people who certainly do. As far as I know, they listen to their manager, so probably if I <laughs> No, that's a joke, of course. No, I don't uh, hold these uh, uh, skills. Uh, I do hold certifications that can uh, talk about risk uh, as a C-risk certified um, uh, person, and also I do understand with my CISSP certification what really is uh, the set of domains that are important to look at in cybersecurity world when uh, you provide services and projects. Yeah. Right. Uh, do, so, so we do hire though um, in, in Honeywell. We hire hackers. We hire people who are white hats. Yeah, we do hire people who potentially have the. Uh, ability to uh, hack as a white hat, and they hold then the certified ethical hacker certification. That's interesting. So when you go to sleep at night and you think about the potential risks that are out there, what are the things that our customers fear? What are the potential risks, not just hacking into an email system, but what are those real potential risks that are out there in the industrial world? Well, I don't know if you recently have uh, seen the articles around Aramco, Saudi Aramco, with the attack with drones. Yes. Uh, not specifically a cybersecurity risk, I would say, more a physical attack, but uh, that disrupted the oil um, production. And they had to go back to half of the production they were used to. Globally, this has big impact. If, if companies like Saudi Aramco would have been hit as such that uh, their old production is going drastically down, uh, because immediately everybody in the world talked about it and felt the, uh, the, the consequences of it. Can you imagine if it completely is being attacked by a virus that stops or disrupts their oil, produ oil production. 
right. not only financially, but also you maybe wouldn't be able to uh, drive your car anymore or, you know, it, it immediately has big impact. So these customers are very, very afraid of that. And these are our customers. So whatever they're afraid of, we are afraid of. And not only it's um, a matter of paying kids around the Internet anymore, but uh, big companies have also uh, are big targets. So that's keeping me busy sometimes. Yeah, I'd imagine. Um, yeah, I was making a list as I was preparing for our conversation about, you know, if I were sitting in the C-suite of a company, even like our own, the types of risks that um, I'd be concerned about. And I was thinking, obviously, we, we own many process facilities where a cyber attack could interrupt at any time. And the impact of that could be environmental. It could be safety related. I can only imagine. Um, it could be uh, financially impactful, right? Like you mentioned with the Ramco, um, you, you go down for even a few hours, it's millions of dollars. Uh, the, the, the ramifications of a, of, of a breach of some sort to a, a facility that is literally running 24 hours, seven days a week is, um, is massive. And um, I have to imagine that the, the impact on the needs for not only a service and a, uh, uh, a company to support cybersecurity, but somebody who's continuing to innovate to, to help in this, this field, it's got to be something that is becoming more and more of a need. Yeah, that's correct. And I think uh, what, what is the most important of the a couple of things that you have mentioned is safety, also of life, right. because that also has happened that because of cyber attacks, uh, we lost people. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's dangerous. And I, I think, and maybe, maybe that's good, right? Uh, sometimes people don't want to, uh, think about all the potential bad things that could go wrong, but I'm glad people like you are around to help us protect against these potentially really, really scary, um, outcomes. Well, I'm glad but I'm here. Uh, I also have a temp I'm temporarily here, so I hope we uh, will increase the amount of white hats and decrease the amount of black hats, yeah, as much as possible. Absolutely. So sometimes the potential risks of uh, of cyber attacks come from seemingly harmless areas like USBs, for instance. Mm -hmm. So I know that um, I read that we have. Uh, a technology that's helping on that, but what what could we do to make sure that we're protected and, frankly, not accidentally bringing a threat into into work? Yeah, there are several ways to protect against it, but Honeywell has now uh, the industrial cybersecurity team has now in her portfolio a technology called uh, Secure Media Exchange uh, (SMX). And it has comparable technology also in the um, in the cyber world. But what makes our product unique is that it offers um, the asset owner to force and force, I must say, whomever is using a USB inside to get it scanned before it is allowed on any um, endnote in his system. And when it finds something, it also looks at how it how does it behave. Uh, and is it harmful, anything that is deviating from what is accepted? So not only you enforce a technical security control to be used, but you also enforce an operational security control because it is a procedure maybe in your environment. But rather than check 
whether everybody is confirming to this procedure, this technology enforces you to confirm to this procedure. So it, it is a win-win situation. And uh, we have sold many of it in the meantime. It's a very, very uh, strong way of blocking a lot of untargeted um, attack from inside because nobody who is in the inside, well, I must not say nobody, I'm sorry, almost nobody <laughs> has the intention when you're inside to attack right. the set you're working for unless you're a disgruntled employee or you're angry with your manager or, or you're being fired and this is the last thing you want to do or so. That doesn't happen so often, but in an asset, it's very dynamic environment. People come and people go, people install and maintain and do patching and so forth. So you have to get that process as such in place that it does enforce everybody to let their USBs scanned first. So, Sema, as I, I hear you tell uh, the uh, the backdrop of, uh, of of this technology and the, the environment, I have to think about your daily life. When you go home and you're out with your family or on the weekend, do you constantly think about risk? Like, you know, don't eat that apple because it could be going bad. Or, I mean, is there risk uh, like all around you or is, is it something that you're able to compartmentalize? It's what I eat and breathe. <laughs> yep. That's what I thought. If you were to take a guess, or maybe you don't have to take a guess, what percentage of companies right now are properly protected? I would say less than 20%. 20%? Meaning yeah. 80% 80 of, of companies around the world are not properly protected. I, I think so. And I in these kind of uh, scenarios, I uh, rather exaggerate a little bit to increase the awareness. But uh, it's not far from that because uh, this, is a, this is an environment where cybersecurity and cybersecurity risk and awareness around it is not a very uh, matured terminology. So it needs to get uh, matured. And, and for that, you need a long time. I'm going to poke on this then because it's worrisome. Do you think that if I were to ask uh, a cross-section of, let's say, CEOs, that some of them think that they have the proper the proper protection but don't? Exactly, because they are very much focused on their IT environment but do not realize that in the OT environment, they have also cybersecurity risk. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So it's not a matter of they're not focused on thinking about this protection. They're actually, unfortunately, not thinking about the broad spectrum of risk that, that's out there with OT risk. Yeah, exactly. In IT, it's a very mature term, cybersecurity, but in uh, OT, it's not, and it will take time to get uh, to that level. All right. Well, Sema, I have um, I have a thing on our podcast where I ask three questions of interesting people like yourself, and I ask the same three questions to everybody. Are you ready to, to answer my three questions? I am. So I'm curious, a uh, self-described white hat who eats and breathes uh, risk every day. What did you want to be when you grew up as a kid? I knew a couple of things for sure. I needed to have people around me. That was one of my uh, specifications. I believe yeah. that. So, <laughs> you know me now in the meantime. Yes, yes. So uh, either an airport or a hospital or uh, busy places. I like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. uh, so that, that was one. And um, secondly, I needed something that is not the same forever. So I, I needed a place where 
everything changes on a frequent uh, fate. So I couldn't do a job for more than a year. And I'm now already 10 years the manager of cybersecurity, and that's only for one reason. In cybersecurity, not one day was the same the last 10 years. <laughs> I was just about to say, well, you couldn't have picked a better industry or company for that matter for both of those things, being, right. being around people and uh, the, the evolving changes of, uh, of an industry. Wow. Yeah. So, okay, question number two. Tell me what technology you could not live without. Technology I could not live without. I guess the ability to have um, access to information on seconds base. So it can be, of course, a book I have to buy immediately, or this can be Google that I need to consult immediately. Uh, so my access, not their access to my device, but my access to their uh, technology. That is something I think I couldn't live without. But uh, I, I am perfectly fine without social media. I would be, I think, perfectly <laughs> yeah. fine without pictures and, and, and that kind of technology. I would be okay to miss, actually, in my life. Interesting. Okay. So it's just, it's the access to information, which is ironic because it's that same access that you battle every day in many ways, right? The access know, that others yeah. are, are going for. Yeah. And, and the access is all, always uh, one direction. So I don't want anybody to access me. <laughs> right. All right. And lastly, this is, I, I find this an, an intriguing question. How many unread messages do you have in your email right now? I think around 200, a little more maybe. 200, okay. Do you ever, when was the last time you got to zero? Don't remember. <laughs> There's always an incoming one, huh? It never stops. And I, I guess it's the same for a lot of us, right? That have actually a, a paid job. We send each other emails constantly. We don't pick up the phone by nature. We email by nature nowadays. Well, Sema, thank you so much for joining us today. and. Thank you, uh, our audience, for listening to this episode of The Future Is. Don't forget to subscribe to go behind the scenes of future technology. This episode was edited and produced by Cassie Cope.